Hello again, listeners. It's me, Dave. In case you hadn't heard, this is part two of the Thought Bubble episode that was so extra long we cut it into two parts. So in case you haven't gone back and heard the DC side of this conversation, you should go to fightinginthewarroom.com slash comics. But if you've already done that here, I can proudly present part two, which includes Captain America being Captain Hydra, X-Men Apocalypse, and some spoilers for Thor Ragnarok. Boys and girls, your attention please. Presenting a new exciting radio program, faster than an airplane, more powerful than a locomotive, impervious to bullets. Hello and welcome to The Thought Bubble, a podcast about comics and comics-adjacent culture. I'm Joanna Robinson. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. If you're just joining us for the first time, we're here to answer your questions about all things comics. Dave here is our so-called expert, and I'm your friendly neighborhood novice. But this podcast is meant for comics lovers of all levels. If Dave wants to go in-depth or spoilery about a particular answer, he'll do so in our advanced section that comes at the end of each episode with ample warning. So don't worry. If you have a question for us, please shoot us an email at bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com. You can find all of our old episodes at fightinginthewarroom.com slash comics. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. Speaking of, <laughs> of national controversy, uh, you know, Marvel released an, a new storyline for Captain America where he is now uh, associated with, with Hydra. Um, and Chris Evans tweeted about it in a pretty delightful way. Uh, Dave, what are your thoughts on, on Captain Hydra? Ooh, yeah. It's uh, so it's ca- Steve Rogers, Captain America number one. Uh, Steve, who, uh, lost the super serum in Original Sin and became old, has regained his youth thanks to the powers of a sentient cosmic cube that has taken the form of a little girl that many people want. And young Captain America has now joined a, like, side Captain America team. So Sam Wilson's still Captain America Prime. He has the circle shield. But Captain America is leading a team of his former historical sidekicks who at one point all have like a drinking thing where they're like, remember when Cap became the werewolf? Ha ha ha. I saved him from Zemo once. Remember when you used to have a boombox and always break it out for certain occasions? So obviously these are the legacy versions of these characters. Uh, they all get together. They're helping Cap fight Hydra. And then uh, Baron Zemo is trying to reform the Masters of Evil and Team Captain America Steve Rogers jumps in, and they're all fighting. And then one of the sidekicks uh, thinks he's helping Cap by stopping Zemo, and Cap instead kicks him out of the plane, possibly to his death, and turns to the like captive scientist and says, "Hail Hydra!" Whoa! All of that is yeah. <laughs> all of that is interspersed with flashbacks to uh, sort of a new part of Captain America's history, uh, where he had an abusive father. And so his abusive father is sort of um, run off by this woman who calls herself Mrs. Schmidt, I think, something Schmidt. It's implied she's Red Skull's wife, um, who sort of takes Captain America's mom and little Steve Rogers under her wing, and at the end of the flashback hands her a pamphlet that's like a Hydra pamphlet from back in the 20s or the 30s or whatever, whatever time period this is supposed to be. So implying that Captain America has been a Hydra agent all along since his youth. Wow. Uh, that's what, that's what happened. It's an interesting issue. 
because it also has a story of a guy who becomes like a suicide bomber and he goes to prison and joins the Nazis just to like not get beat up in prison and then comes out and goes and sees Red Skull make a very Donald Trump sounding speech, even though this was written before that was an actual reality um, about like anti-immigration and then changes out, you know, his Nazi tattoo for a Hydra tattoo. I've convinced the storyline specifically to be like Nazi and Nazis and Hydra are not the same thing. Uh, and it uh, also has a whole bunch of discussion about how Hydra is basically anti-government, not necessarily anti, you know, person or creed. But I don't know. It's it's going to be an interesting Captain America run. Once again, we have to see how it plays out. My initial reaction was this is what they did to Spider-Man when they put Doc Ock in his head. Mm-hmm. And it's a good way to like redefine a villain who's gotten kind of murky to sort of define him by negative space. So show us a whole bunch of things that Captain America definitely isn't. And that way, when the real Captain America comes back, where it's like an old friend coming back and we don't have to define this new person because we've just defined him by what he's not so all that being said i started this off this summary off by mentioning that there's a sentient cosmic cube involved and the second cosmic cube that ever appeared in comics had like reality altering powers when the red skull tried to use it so the fact that that's involved at all means like there's reality altering involved i'm not worried at all that captain america has been captain hydra and i certainly think that you know people who suggests that it's somehow disrespectful to make quote cap a nazi unquote either you know have haven't read the issue or don't understand what's happening which is they want to sell more comics by exploring the character in a different way (laughs) disrespect i'm sorry disrespectful cracks me up um (laughs) yeah I, i I have no opinion one way or another on it. It sounds kind of intriguing. I really like your spin on it. Um, and yeah, of course, it sounds like so deeply impermanent that I don't know why anyone would get at all fussed about it. Um, do you think overall it's a good move, a bad move, or a let's wait and see move? It's let's wait and see, but the way to make this week fun or this month fun and however long we get another piece is go back to all of Marvel's covers they've released for the upcoming months and everyone that Captain America's on has a Hydrant agent on it. Whoa! So like the Civil War 2 teams have changed completely in my mind. I'm like, why is Spidey on the team with the Hydra agent? <laughs> why is that team against Captain America? So like... Things have shifted in the immediate uh, aftermath, assuming they commit to this, which they seem to be doing at least in interviews. So until we know more, it's mostly interesting to see where it's going to go. But, you know, if you're buying Marvel Comics, some things have changed on your covers, so check it out. Excellent. Um, All right, so we are going to talk about two more things uh, today. One is... X-Men Apocalypse, and one is Thor Ragnarok, and weirdly I'm going to save Thor for last because I think we might get into some speculative spoilers there, so I'm going to put that in a spoiler section. Um, but, you know, generally, a new cast, the the cast was announced for Thor Ragnarok, it sounds amazing. Everything Taika Waititi has written on Twitter, the director Taika Waititi has written has been amazing, I'm just so excited for this movie, so we're going to talk about that. Um, but first... X-Men Apocalypse. Like, we could have done a whole... Uh, seriously, I don't know how long this episode is going to be, but we could do a whole episode talking about X-Men Apocalypse. I will say my quick 
review is this. I was ready to give this movie like a B plus, which is way higher than I thought I was going to do until the last 30, 40 minutes when they're in Cairo. And then I was like, nope, this is down to like a C, C plus for me. Um, if I had to rank my X-Men movies, I would say it goes X-Men first class. I was doing this last night, so I have it fresh in my head. X-Men first class, okay. the first X-Men, uh, the second X-Men, uh, Days of Future Past. Uh, I'm not counting any of the spinoffs, just ones that have X-Men in the word. X-Men, so Days of Future Past, Apocalypse, or no, no, Apocalypse, Days of Future Past, and then Last Stand. That's my ranking. Do you have one? I'm trying to think more. It's going to be easier to think if there's anything I disagree with with yours. Um, Days of Future Past and X3 sort of uh, vie for the last spot on my list. Yeah. But otherwise, I think your your top ones are right in the correct place. Excellent. Um, yeah, so Dave... Um, once again, I'll, I'll give a shout out to our Fighting the War Room mothership. They did a, a thorough review of this. I was surprised. I shouldn't have been surprised. I disagreed with like a, a lot of people. Not much, not very much Katie, but I disagreed with Matt and David because they actually liked this much more than I did, which is a surprising reversal. Um, Dave, I don't know. How do, how do you want to get into talking about X-Men Apocalypse? Uh, I mean, I th- just think it was really weird. I think it's a confluence of weird decisions pasted together in a uh, chronological order of a fictional universe that doesn't obey its own rules. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, but just like odd decisions, just odd decisions all over the place, like to not use apocalypse in an apocalypse way, uh, to depend so much on us knowing what happens in a movie that you are making fun of. I'm referring to X3 and the fact that you basically have to know what Jean Grey and Cyclops and uh, Dark Phoenix all have to do with each other because this movie's not going to stop to tell you. It's just going to hint that it's happening. Um, I think the way I tweeted at Matt Patches about this movie uh, in response to his review was um, it's... Like, the most 80s thing about this movie is what it thinks the sequel should be, which is just the exact same thing over and over again, but, quote, bigger, unquote. So it's like, Brian Singer feels like the X-Men always exist where they're just about to make a team, and Dark Phoenix is just about to happen, and he's incapable of moving any of the characters out of that sphere. Uh, is what I've been shown. And God bless Simon Kinberg. Uh, he seems to love the X-Men characters, but he's incapable of writing an uh, X-Men movie where anything happens that makes any sense. <laughs> uh, I see, I see things that I recognize, but it, it's not, it doesn't have to be there. It's completely extraneous. There's a shot of this movie that starts with Apocalypse making Angel's armor out of sand and pulls back to Magneto who's just, like, down the hall and is going to get a vision from Professor X. I'm just like, just start down the hall. I know how to look in the background of your shittily framed shots. I don't want to (laughs) see Apocalypse make armor for people. That's a shitty use of Apocalypse. It really is. Oh, man. It's such a weird... I don't don't dislike it because it is giving me a lot of stuff that I like about the X-Men, which is basically, like, the cartoon brought to the screen. But it's not giving me any of that in a way that I feel like can like do anything other than enjoy it in the moment because it's not chaining. Everybody, 
everybody learned dis- learned lessons at the end of first class, and the core characters of this prequel trilogy have not changed at all over the following two movies. Seriously. They still relearn all the lessons they learned from first class. In Rose Byrne's case, uh, she's forced to relearn <laughs> twice. Um, a couple... Well, like, you talked about... When we were talking about The Flash, you were talking about these large stake villains make it hard to have fun, right? So knowing that Apocalypse is out there just, like, murdering people with sand or whatever he's doing... Um, or leveling Auschwitz, you know, well, like you do, whatever it is. Um, it makes it harder to enjoy something that should be so purely enjoyable, like Quicksilver. The sequence with Quicksilver was freaking phenomenal, as it was in the last film. Evan Peters is great, so funny and inventive, but like knowing that Alex Summers is getting blown to bits while this like comedy is happening is, you know, and I don't even really care that much about Havoc, but like the, they, tried to get us to care about Alex Summers for like the first 40 minutes of the movie so that we would feel the loss of him. And so knowing that he was being roasted alive while, you know, Quicksilver's jaunting around the mansion saving people was such a weird, weird tonal mismatch for me. Um, yeah. No, no, everything's full of that. Did, did, did you think Olivia Munn knows she was in this movie? Oh my god, Olivia Munn, like... Okay, okay. the the most... Well, two things. First of all, the most egregious thing about Olivia Munn is that she gave that interview about how she turned down the uh, Marina Baccarin's character, uh, Marina Baccarin's role in Deadpool to take this character because she wanted to... She didn't just want to be the girlfriend, she wanted to have actual depth and whatever. And it's so laughable. That comment is so laughable when Psylocke is just like so terrible and her costume is so egregiously bad. I know that it's the comic book costume, but it just did not translate well on screen. And there's so many scenes where she's just meant to stand there in her terrible bathing suit, scowling. Uh, it, oh, just that really bothered me. But, you know, a, a probably the more egregious waste is of Oscar Isaac because, you know, he's in this big villain role and he should be able to um, put, you know, the full force of his Oscar Isaac charisma into it. And he's, you know, my big pet peeve is when people are buried and unrecognizable under makeup or CGI. And I wonder, I know that this is the, this is similar to the comic design, but I wonder what would have been wrong with just having Oscar Isaac, Oscar Isaac's face. With like similar to the comics design in quotes. Uh, okay, <laughs> uh, big and purple like the comics design. <laughs> um, but just he wasn't that purple. He's like gray, and he just looks normal. He just has some lines on his face, and they kept the lines on his face, but they gave him like a Star Trek makeover. It was on the rest of his face. It's bad. It's like you don't. Oscar Isaac has a fine brow. You don't need to give him more brow. Why would you do that? Or all the chin. I He doesn't need it. Um, but I, I just couldn't, like, I would have been really interested to see Oscar Isaac as Apocalypse, more humanoid. I don't know, with, like, maybe a lot of eyeliner on or something, like, you know, to give a nod to the Egyptian roots or something. Like, I think that would have been really cool. And I think overall, you know, something that, that our Fighting the War Room friends liked was the huge world stakes of this but i think you didn't need to is it too late to say spoilers for x-men apocalypse um spoilers for x-men apocalypse i don't think you need to level cairo 
in order to get where you need to go, a population 8 million people, to get where you need to go with this story. I think if you ground the stakes in, um, like we see, we, like the nuke launching thing I thought was great. So if you see the, the degree of uh, Apocalypse's power comes in the fact that he can launch all the nukes into the air simultaneously. So who knows what the crap he could do. Then in the last act, just focus on the more grounded stakes of Apocalypse has decided he wants Charles as his next host. And so those are the stakes is like the X-Men have to rescue Charles. Give Magneto something better to do than just randomly blow up the Sydney Opera House because it's just like it's it's too stupid for <laughs> for me to handle. I I feel like I already knew what destruction Apocalypse could could you know what kind of havoc he could wreak on the world and like just have the stakes more grounded because once it gets so big and you just like lose Cairo and like a random skyscraper in New York and shipping containers of flying at the screen. Like I, I, I just unplugged from the emotional stakes, which should have been there. Like especially with Sophie Turner's character moments. Oh no! I mean, right? Sophie Turner, no. It was bad. It was so bad. She tried, man, but it was bad. What did she? I don't know. I think she did try. I think she was really, really hampered by doing an American accent. I honestly think it was very distracting that it took a lot of her concentration just to get her vowels as close as she could to yeah i I don't i don't know much about sophie turner as an actress but i think we might have found someone that suffers from too many takeitis where in order to create a consistent character over so many special effects takes the easiest thing is just to not have a character at all oh god um yeah But it seems so much, do you agree, that they were trying to pivot the feature of the franchise on Sophie Turner's Jean Grey, right? Sure. Or Brian Singer just thinks that's where the X-Men constantly exist. But, like, not knowing what the next step is, uh, sort of like not knowing if Sophie Turner's even coming back. And... uh, (laughs) Like Treating this whole thing like the end of a trilogy, sort of like, uh, as an afterthought really like makes me not care that you're introducing new characters in the end of your trilogy because what it implies is these are going to be the characters that I've already seen in their own trilogy which makes Mystique make no damn sense no oh my god I mean so much about trying to treat this as six continuous movies or at least three continuous movies makes no sense at all so then trying to so then I'd be okay with treating them as one. That's why first class is my favorite. Cause it's the most easily contained. Like if you just ignore what came after it and then just, you know, view it as like a clean reboot, which it was, which Matthew Vaughn cleanly rebooted the franchise. And then Brian Singer came in and just like shat all over it. But like, if you treat that as a clean reboot, then it's just like, it's, great movie um i mean it has its issues mostly january jones but like it's still a great movie kevin bacon is a fantastic villain it's a great i just rewatched it i loved it um but when you get to brian singer coming back in and like smearing his pheromones all over this and insisting that it all connect back to his original movies and like that's why we're doing days of future past let me bring in my original characters and so then you have to consider this all connects um then I have an issue with like teenage Jean Grey having this weird moment with Hugh Jackman because I'm like, okay, but is this, I know the future is going to change, but uh, uh, presumably we're still going to have a Jean Grey Wolverine like 
moment. So watching Sophie Turner interact with Hugh Jackman, like freaked old, old like old man Logan freaked me out. Like I, I didn't like it at all. I don't like thinking about that future. And so I just rather that, that these had been two separate trilogies or even just individual movies. I don't know. I, I love McAvoy. I love Fassbender. Jennifer Lawrence barely showed up because she didn't you want know, to, but there, like, there are very few roles where Rebecca Romain Stamos says, Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> this is one of but them. Mystique definitely up there now, but I love Fassbender and McAvoy. I think they're great together and separately. And, um, that's why I was liking the movie more, you know, like, especially even McAvoy in like professor X mode when he's like teaching Scott, you know, Scott burns up the, the fam, the Xavier family tree. Like that was a great moment. I loved that. I was loving that kind of stuff more than I wanted to like, grudgingly. Cause I didn't want to like this movie. And so I was liking it. And then it just sort of went to shit. So here's a, here's a Gordian knot of crap. Who's responsible <laughs> for that? Because I, my initial response is that's just the actors elevating their moments. But then you have Oscar Isaac, who's a great actor who is incapable of elevating any moments. So is it possible the script is good for a few moments? Um, I think Fassbender and McAvoy have such like a, such a lock on their Eric and Charles that, you know, they can elevate, like they have the advantage of starting in first class with a better script. And so they already have a lock beat on these characters. And Oscar Isaac has only this script to work with. And the disadvantage, I mean, you, I'm sure you read that Rolling Stone interview where he talked about like how he had to go to a cooling tent between takes, just like the physical exertion. It's like Sophie Turner grappling with her accent, him grappling with that suit, uh, and like all the makeup and all the prosthetics, just like make it almost impossible to do any kind of performance. And like he, you know, uh, Matt Patches really loved the performance. He called it operatic. He loved how over the top it was, but like, I didn't, I didn't even see that. I just saw him like struggling to stand up straight under like all the shit that he was wearing um yeah it's amazing to me that you could have 20th century fox who does their 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 three last three hero movies have been fantastic Four, deadpool and now this and the thing was motion capture uh what what is it the the metal guy oh fuck the russian metal guy oh uh deadpool oh brain fart time Colossus. Colossus. Colossus motion capture. Yeah. <laughs> and they put Oscar Isaac in the Ivan Ooze suit from Power Rangers from 1990. And it's just like, come on, guys. Like, you also have that. You have Beast. You have Jennifer Lawrence, who doesn't want to be blue, but story-wise should be blue the whole time. Just, like, embrace the technology that you're using in your other movies. That's my question, too. And- do you think Jennifer Lawrence is like, all right, I'll do your third movie, but write into the script that Raven wants to not be in that fucking makeup most of the time? Like, that's what it seemed like to me, right? That, like... Yes. Because here's the, the thing. The like, actress you... did not want it. Though I will say, they made her makeup better. Like, her makeup is so bad in first class. And they made it better. Like, you're talking about giving someone an extra brow. Like, they put some... Her her makeup is so heavy in first class. And they've sort of toned it down in this one. But, yeah, she still obviously did not want to be in it. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's... they They make up this whole plot line of she's resisting being this hero because she has to because that's the only storyline mystique could have in these like prequel movies but i'm not sure if that existed the whole time because this movie's set up for um magneto to turn not when raven's getting choked but when quicksilver says he has the balls to do the reveal 
And then Apocalypse sinks him into the ground after he gets like knocked around like a ragdoll for two seconds. Yeah. Like this movie sets up that to be the thing and then pulls away from it instead to make Mystique's, you know, turning blue moment, uh, Storm be like, oh shit, it's been her all along. Right. And it doesn't, it doesn't need to be that character for everybody. That seems like completely shoehorned in so that Jennifer Lawrence can have a moment of not being blue whenever possible. Yeah. Uh, it's just a motion capture thing away. It's, it's technology <laughs> we have. You're not even making real skin. You're making weird blue alien skin nobody's seen before. Just put her in gray pajamas. Nobody cares. <laughs> um, no, but you need to see like her breast squish as like beast pins her down at one point when she's blue. And I was like, all right, that's That what- would be even easier in motion capture. <laughs> so much of this movie doesn't exist. I get, I don't know why they couldn't have just made some of it exist and then made the characters look better. Do you think Nicholas Holt had the same thing? Like when Jennifer Lawrence is like, listen, I need Raven to be humanoid most of the time. Nicholas Holt's like, oh, oh, bees too. Bees too. Also, mostly humanoid, please. Um, I don't know. Anyway, uh. Sure. I mean, it's, it's probably more likely knowing Jennifer Lawrence's reputation that she's like, and also my fellow cast members aren't going to have any of this shit either. <laughs> Oscar Isaac's like, wait, I haven't met you yet. Come back. Damn it. She's like, this is my gift to my ex-boyfriend, Nicholas Holt. He gets it's free just, of the bee suit. Like, uh, so like that Quicksilver scene where he's punching Apocalypse yeah. all over. Those are, that that's body double stuff like the Flash does. You just scan an actor's body and then it's all fake. And I'm sure that shit's all over the movie because it's an easier way to make people fly, even though poor Michael Fassbender actually had to be suspended somewhere. Did the he? other ones, you have no idea. <laughs> Yeah, or he's on a stool. It's hard to tell because it's not great. But like, if you're already scanning somebody to make like a digital double, like that's like it makes the step of just making it all look better even easier. I don't, I don't. That that's what this movie's just weird decisions, weird decisions piled on top of each other. And that, I don't. That doesn't even make it bad because it's at least interesting to watch some of the time. Like I'm gonna see this movie again with my girlfriend when she gets back into town. And I'm like, I'm going to be able to sit through it again. It's not Batman v Superman, Dawn of no. Justice. Because it's interesting. It's just weird for no reason. Why is he learning from a TV? Why does he have to tell me? I get it. I've seen sci-fi movies before. Uh, why isn't uh, Oscar Isaac the villain in the Tom Cruise mummy movie? There are just so many things that this movie makes me question just by its existence. Why is Jubilee the most underserved X-Men character that's always cast in every X-Men movie but never used? So many riddles. Riddles of the X-Men franchise. Yeah, and I think, unfortunately, since... Um, I don't know. I can only think of an Asian character in X-Men, like, in Last Stand, right? Like, when it was Ken... From Lost? I don't I remember don't his last uh, name. Female... Deathstrike was Asian. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're right, you're right. Uh, but, like, the fact that, like, Jubilee is Asian and, like, there's a big conversation right now about Asian representation in film, the fact that she's so clearly cut down to nothing when they made such a big deal about casting her is just deeply unfortunate. Um, and I liked her and her four lines that she had. And, um, you know, I know that there were a lot more of the mall scene, right? Because we've got that promo image of, of Jean Grey and Scott at the record store. So like, we know that there was a lot of mall stuff they cut. And once again, that might've been a tonal thing, like a time thing. Well, that's also the, actually, yeah. Brian Singer just says it's only pacing for the movie. He said that would have not helped the pacing, which I'm not sure which movie he was watching, but I got to take his word for it. <laughs> 
but I mean, this shot of like when, when Quicksilver shows up to the mansion and you've got the kids in the car and the car is kind of like up in the air. I mean, that was such a comic book You're phrase. Like, I want to watch that movie. I did want to watch that movie. Exactly. That's exactly the movie I wanted to be watching. And like, I don't mind. X-Men always seems to have to have, I don't know if this is just Brian Singer's influence, but it always seems to have to have this Muppet Babies sort of aspect to it because uh, the fact that Professor X runs a school. Like, right? So you always have to have kids there, a student element. Because some people think that, like, in the first X-Men trilogy, like, all the rogue stuff or, like, the Iceman stuff, stuff like that, like, that they are not interested in that. And they just want the adult stuff. Um And I think that that's true of first class as well. Like, all all the kids that they bring in, you know other you know like havoc and the other ones uh not that not that interesting probably but if you well, it pivots away from the what this trilogy was supposed to be about which is the magneto raven uh, professor x relationship speaking of that relationship was supposed to end with raven being evil god knows how that got lost along the wayside but whatever yeah uh, how, how do we get to a future i mean i guess this we're all in all in alternate like reality territory but how do we get to a future where like not only is like magneto delightfully gay and campy in mckellen but like raven is his right hand henchwoman no she's like the proud leader of the resistance now it's like so to connect i understand that days of future past like rebooted the timeline but like to connect to try to connect and not connect those franchises is abysmal to me. Well, and here's the other weird decision. Why do you take the actor that's been most vocal about leaving your franchise when she's out of her contract and put her at the center of your new goddamn team? Uh, I don't know. Oh, God. This movie. I mean, those... it's pleasantly frustrating. <laughs> I want to make, make a difference between here and the, like, Batman v Superman. tired after yeah. Dawn of Justice. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you completely. Um, were those uh, Sentinels at the end of the movie? They were just a, you know, danger room. Once again, nod to X3, which I guess didn't exist anymore. All right. So that's X-Men Apocalypse. We didn't love it. Uh, I'll be seeing it again, though. So it's getting some more ticket money from Dave. Fassbender's great. McAvoy's great. Um, just bring back the old theme song. You're halfway there. <laughs> All right. Or just rewatch. I mean, Fassbender is great, but I have to say that, like, the Eric Lenscher that we met in First Class, who was, like, debonair, wore, like, trim polo shirts tucked into, like, beautiful pants. Like, it was basically James Bond in that scene in, in South America. Uh, spoke different languages all the time. I love that version of Eric. Lumberjack Eric, Polish Lumberjack Eric. I mean, I'm I'm not as interested. It was still great. But like first class is just everything pales in comparison for me. So all right. Uh, all right. Uh now we're gonna talk about Thor. <laughs> we're gonna bring it all back to Marvel. And so we're gonna get into spoilery speculation. Not just speculation, because Dave might know something. So this email comes from Alex from New Jersey. And he says, so now that Thor Ragnarok has had its full cast confirmed and we've seen the last MCU film that ties directly 
or indirectly into the lead up to the film. Uh, could you speculate on a non, oh, non-spoilery kind of way what the plot of the new film will be? I don't think we can do that because I know Dave knows too much. We know Loki did something to Odin and captured the throne. We know Thor is on a quest to figure out who is after the Infinity Stones. We know that Hulk is being super sulky and took a ship off world. Add to that the new cast announces below and tell me what do you think this thing will be about? Trying hard to figure out how the end of the world implications of its title fit with the planet hopping buddy comedy we've been promised. Thanks. Alex from New Jersey. Uh, so we've got Carl Urban as Scourge, Tessa Thompson as Valkyrie, Jeff Goldblum as the eccentric Grandmaster, Kate Blanchett as, is it Hela or Hela? Hela. That's what I thought. I heard another podcast where they called it Hela. I was like, I do not think so. Well, Hela. So there's Hell, there's Hell that she rules over, which right. is H E L. So. But she's here. I don't know. I sh- I sh- I'm not the one to ask that question, Joanne. I'm having a really bad week with these things. Okay. I, I think Hela is right. And then plus Thor, Hulk, Loki, and Odin all confirmed to return. But Odin's going to, I mean, Anthony Hopkins is returning as like, well, oh, that'll be my first question. Is Anthony Hopkins returning just to be fake Loki? Or is he returning no. to actually be Odin? He's going to be Odin. Okay. Dave, what do you want to tell us about Thor Ragnarok? Why don't you just keep asking me questions of increasing spoiler capability and people can jump off when they want. <laughs> okay, so Carl Urban is Scourge, who is in theory Kate Blanchett's henchman. Is that right? Uh, he's an Asgardian called the Executioner. He uh, was one of the original members of Masters of Evil, which is interesting because Baron Zemo is still alive from Civil War. So I would expect Carl Urban to at least... Uh, survive Thor Ragnarok um, because that's an interesting person to add to the Marvel Universe. But yeah, he's going to shave his head and he's going to be this big Asgardian uh, pain, pain in the butt. Uh, is he going to be like a pain in the butt with a redemption arc? Or are we going to have two villains, like an alpha and a beta villain? Uh, I think very quickly there's going to be a line drawn in the film between who is on the villain side and who is against the villain. And that's going to be the scale that it's at uh, for the entire MCU. So I think he's going to be on the against us good guys side. Okay, so we've got Gila and people on her side of the line. And then we've got the good guys. Where Which side of the line do you see Loki following on? I think at least he's going to start... Um, giving Gila reason to uh, enact her plan and maybe helping her in some way. Whether or not he's going to do that with full knowledge of what her plan entails or not, if that's going to be something where the trickster god gets ultimately tricked, uh, that's too soon to say. Okay. Um, (laughs) How does... uh, Well, okay. Uh, Jamie Alexander has implied on Twitter that even though we don't have confirmation of Lady Sif, Lady Sif will be in the movie. Um, how do you see Lady Sif and Valkyrie working into the plot? Uh, well, Valkyrie is uh, traditionally a character called Hildy. She's one of many Valkyries. She leads the Valkyries. They're the ones that fly over the battlefield and decide which uh, souls are worthy of going to Valhalla. So Witness like me! Angels. Okay, sorry. Yes, they're like the good angels taking you to Valhalla. If you don't, uh, people from hell on uh, Kate Blanchett's Hela's side will pull you down to hell. So that's how those two characters are going to go side to side. Um, In terms of um, Sif returning, I would say that 
anyone that's a returning character from previous in the Thor franchise is in grave danger um, when Hela's plan starts to turn. Okay, so let's say Loki helps Hela get the plan off the ground. Then Hela starts doing some shit that's too extreme even for Loki, including perhaps killing all of Thor's friends. Not that Loki would necessarily care about that, but like going beyond the pale in terms of uh, killing people? Question mark? Um, possibly. All right, up another spoiler step. Um, Thor's going to figure out what's going on and going to try to face Hela sort of earlier in the film, and things are not going to go well. So uh, shit's going to get real real fast um, once the plan is unveiled. Okay, um, you've talked to me before about there being sort of like a gladiatorial element, like Planet Planet Hulk or um, Hulk and Thor somehow drafted into gladiatorial games. Uh, is this Jeff Goldblum, the eccentric grandmaster? Is he running these games? That's a really good guess. Uh, so the grandmaster is an elder, like the collector Benicio del Toro. He's really old. Uh, he at one point possessed an infinity gem, but he's traditionally a guy in comics who shows up and pits people in games so be like avengers fight each other or like play chess with me death um but is involved in like some death related plots when death is personified in the marvel universe and we're hoping that Hela is going to kind of step into that because that means Kate blanchett could play a bigger part in the upcoming infinity war if it's anything like the comics where uh, thanos is pretty obsessed with death um, so that's cool, but the idea that he is the sort of being that would pit uh, people in combat, gladiatorial combat, uh, really helps abbreviate um, a whole bunch of Planet Hulk stuff that we would have to deal with, uh, but it's not a Hulk movie, it's a Thor movie. So the prevailing theory is Thor faces Hela, things go south, she sends him to this planet uh, where the Grandmaster is making uh, people fight. And um, Thor is going to do incredibly well because he's still Thor. Uh, and Chris Hemsworth, probably shirtless, maybe gets his head shaved. But, you know, we're going to see a, a dirty Hemsworth, a Spartacus Hemsworth, if you will, um, who works his way up. And suddenly the champion is like, oh, man, it's the Hulk. And uh, Hulk hasn't been Banner in a while, so he's full on hulked out. But is uh, getting some Banner aspects back and it will recognize Thor. Um. You had me a dirty Hemsworth, so <laughs> I'm excited. Uh, okay, what other questions do I have? How funny do you think this movie's gonna be? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I hope very. I mean, so if if we're judging Marvel Universe funny, what's like the top of our scale? Ant-Man, Guardians of the Galaxy? Yeah, Guardians, I'd say. Guardians. So I think it's going to be sub-Guardians because I don't think we're going to get anything, you know, like, uh, I don't know, sexual genitalia thing. I think it's going to be pretty much like Ant-Man, Paul Rudd aside jokey. Um, because I don't think you... Where Ant-Man, I guess felt like it was a whole bunch of actors riffing around a script. I think this one's going to come with a script with a lot of jokes, and it's just going to be about how the actors can deliver it, because Chris Hemsworth seems pretty funny uh, if Ed Paul Feig sticks up for him in his performance in Ghostbusters. 
but I just don't see a position where Thor and motion capture Mark Ruffalo get a chance to do a lot of like riffing around about this alien they can't see. So I think, you know, it's going to be a comedy quote unquote, but it's still on the Marvel scale. Right. You don't know what a comedy is. You don't have a rocket raccoon character or whatever to like, yeah, it's not going to be crazy. It has the capability of being crazy, but I think that's all going to be restrained to Jeff Goldblum, who I is capable of giving a Benicio del Toro level performance. He sure I'm not, is. Like, I'm not expecting much more than dark Galadriel out of Kate Blanchett, which is fine, but I'm not expecting any more than that. I hope she gets uh, dark Galadriel. I hope she gets to be like, more like, oh, like her character in Cinderella, like her evil stepmother character in Cinderella, mm-hmm. where she was like sneering, but kind of fun. Do you know what I mean? Dark Galadriel so, is a little too dark for more than the one minute she's in Fellowship, you know? Well, I think this is the movie that it's the concluding trilogy of the Thor series. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure this is where we get our last Infinity Stone. Just judging the movies, it's not going to be Spider-Man Homecoming. So uh, I think this is the one that is um, uh, tonally, or its job is to introduce the greater threat of uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So tonally, it's going to have to ride a line between being fun, but also introducing real stakes. I think it's, um, its plus is that if its greater purpose is just introducing those stakes, it doesn't necessarily have to answer those raised stakes in this movie it just has to raise them so we don't we could have a we could have another um uh, uh, empire strikes back ending to thor if that's what it needs to serve the greater the greater good the greater good um did you say invisible alien and i didn't follow ask you a follow-up question about that did i say invisible alien yeah this alien week so. this alien we can't see talking about what thor and hulk are doing did I make that oh, up? Oh, oh, oh. I'm saying it's going to be awkward to have two o- actors riffing in what I'm sure is going to be a CGI environment. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So, like, you're not going to have a lot of, you know, we'll, we'll be spared the Men in Black, uh, what is it, three Balchinian joke? Like, stuff like that. Uh, That's off tone. Okay. Um, <laughs> what question did I have? Oh, are we going to see any characters, do you think, that we don't? that have not been announced in the casting list um, that will tie into the larger universe, such as I think Brolin hasn't been mentioned. So are we going to see Thanos or are we going to see Captain Marvel? Uh, I think there's hope for both of those. Okay. Um, I think at one point Captain Marvel was going to be in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, but I think that's been... I don't think that's happened. The casting hasn't lined up. But uh, they have cast a Captain Marvel. Everyone is like 70% sure. And it's just one of those things like Danny Rand. that's just somebody's in a basement somewhere or a PR basement or a King's Landing jail. And we won't hear about it until we figure out which movie they're in. But this would have been a good time. No, no, it wouldn't have been a good time for Thor. We got time. Uh, Doctor Strange will come out and then maybe they'll drop a bomb if uh, they need to. But otherwise, I think Captain Marvel is uh, still a probability for Ragnarok. And I think Thanos, at least as a partial appearance, is very high in Ragnarok. Um, I'm confused 
here's my question. Do you think it'd be smarter just for Marvel? Okay, because like if Marvel has cast Captain Marvel and doesn't want to announce it yet for whatever reason, is it because they hope they can reveal it as a surprise? But don't they fucking know by now they won't be able to do that? So we're going to find out via terrible blurry set photos, even if she is in a basement for most of the time, like... Is there any way that Marvel is going to have control over this reveal if they sit on it? I mean, they're not going to wait for the movie. I think they're smart enough to know that when they reveal it, though, will be a completely different thing. Uh, so, like, like Spider-Man. Yeah, I was about to say, how how was Tom Holland announced? Was it leaked or did Marvel control that? Marvel controlled it. Okay. Okay. But they had already shot stuff with the suit they later replaced. Right. Like, that had already existed. So there's ways to... They, Marvel really wants to control its message now. That's why things like finding rumors out have been harder for people like me. Um, but, like, they'll get, they're getting to the point where if they feel like something is uh, too many people know, they'll pull the trigger on a dot-com release on a Friday just, you know, to get that bump for three days news cycle. Like they did with the Thor cast. They're like, hey, check it out. Jeff Goldblum. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. And uh, like that works. So I don't think we're going to get to the movie coming out and there being a reveal. I think they're smart enough to realize it's going to leak before that. But I do think they could wait until at least somebody's on set. Uh, But also like. But then there was like the Linda Cardellini leak where like Linda Cardellini was leaked because she was on like a red carpet list like not that right. not that our character is that important but linda carlini and avengers the ultron like it seemed like they wanted to just have her show up like she did on maybe they were like hey Mad Men just surprised everyone with linda carlini maybe we can surprise everyone with linda carlini but like the i just i mean it's my fault for pursuing all rumors and that sort of thing but i'm just t- kind of tired of learning about things from red carpet attendance leaks and i would just rather as you say a dot-com release on a friday of like hey jeff goldblum's in this movie isn't that cool and I'm, yeah. yeah, so I'm excited for the eventual, hey, fill in the blank is Captain Marvel. Get excited, sort of thing. Yeah, well, it'll, as the production cycle moves along, I guess look for it after Strange. They could, uh, I mean, now we're running into the thing that there's also rumors that just Mar- Disney's not going to Comic Con. Yeah. So, uh, I've heard that too. Like, uh, if that happens, then, there, there's a possibility of another October-ish, uh, Chadwick. Your post Doctor Strange Marvel's specific events that's just like, here's what the next phase looks like, and here's a teaser we made, and here's your Captain Marvel. Right. That's how they announced Chadwick Boseman as Black Panther. At, was that one of those events? So. Yeah. That would be more likely than them waiting for a D23 to come along, I think, at this point. Yeah. Cause there's no D23 until 2018. So, mm-hmm. all right. Uh, did I miss any questions that I should have asked about Thor Ragnarok? Are there are there listeners screaming right now? Like Joanna, why didn't you ask this follow up question? No, no, I don't think so. I'll keep tweeting hashtag Planet Hulk every time I get more news about Thor Ragnarok. Because uh- <laughs> I'm so I'm gonna be so happy when that happens. But if it doesn't. I'll just light myself on fire. Oh, please don't. Um, all right. Anything else we want to cover, comic book wise? It seemed like a lot. 
so much. Uh, if you're still listening at this point, uh, Dave's been reading Preacher. I've been reading Bitch Planet and Sex Criminals. And we will be back talking to you Thought Bubble-wise. Let me see when. Um, probably when Suicide Squad comes out, which seems like a long time. So we'll probably have... Really? Oh, man. This is the break? This is the break between summer superhero <laughs> movies? I mean, unless you want to count the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, but I have no intention. We'll see how it is. Okay. Because I'm looking forward to it as a fan of the cartoon series and as the person who got to do the script leak of the Teenage Alien Turtles that uh, were neither mutants uh, nor ninjas necessarily. Uh- <laughs> So, uh, I mean, I'm really happy that they're like, okay, fine. You want Krang and Technodrome and Bebop and Rocksteady and other ooze? Here, here you go. I'm going to be like, yes, thank you. Okay. So we might be back in June. Uh, if not, we'll definitely be back in August. So we'll probably be back before then. Uh, when does Luke Cage come out? That's fall, right? Okay. Uh, September. Yeah. All right. Suicide Squad, if we're not, Suicide Squad, if not turtles. Hashtag Suicide Squad, if not turtles. <laughs> Uh, or if you send us plenty of, of great emails that we can't ignore at bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com. Uh, in the meantime, Dave, where can people find your work? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at DA7E, at latino-review.com, and at geek.com. I'm Joan Robinson. You can find me on vanityfair.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. And it just occurred to me we might check back in for the Preacher finale. We'll see. We'll see how it all ends. Uh, and until then, bye-bye.